That's how you do it. All right, welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm Tyler Friel, and uh, happy to to get back on the wagon after the holidays. Kind of been sidetracked as everybody else has, but uh, excited to sit down with uh, Nick Mookie today and uh, the man of the hour, Stan Parkerson. It's been Stan lives right down the street, and it's been I've been meaning to get in, get in touch with you and have you on here for a long time, but uh, finally glad to glad to make that make it happen. Yeah, we talked about it last summer and. It's just way too busy. But, yep. But finally, I retired, so now I got some time. <laughs> yeah. I was, now I won't be wondering every time one of them one of them big planes flies overhead if you're, if you're flying over to check on your house. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Stan's a long time long time guide outfitter. I don't know how to talk you up without Very inflating much to too much. Really. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, Stan's a great guy. Well, both I've had Jeff Jeff and. Uh, Troy have been on, have both guided oh, for yeah. you. A lot of their stories have been working for Stan. And uh, anyway. No. Yeah, great guys. Yeah. yeah, both of them are. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, and some of it, you know, I've heard a lot a lot of stories from you, and hopefully we'll hear some of them today. But uh, how'd you, uh, what what ended up getting you up here, usually like to ask, and, and what got you, you know, you're big into aviation and outfitting. How'd you, how'd you get roped into all that? Well, I moved up here with my parents when I was 13 years old uh, from Ohio and and uh, you know I back in those days I was in the Boy Scouts and all that stuff and yep. when I got up here I quit that because it was like <laughs> you know I didn't need need it to get out in the woods you know, anymore um, you know I went to high school here at Fairbanks graduated in Lathrop in 75 and um, you know I got my pilot's license I got married right out of high school and I uh, got my pilot's license the same year I got out of high school and uh it was only to uh really it was only to uh, be able to get out in the woods and hunt and fish and trap and that kind of thing and and uh it ended up working into a profession for me I, you know ended up doing uh i got an air taxi license for a while and was doing drop hunts and then was doing some guiding for uh, sandy jameson uh and Ended up getting my own guide's license, and I've been doing that now for, I think, 24 years, um, concentrating uh, with bow hunters only and uh, moose and grizzly bears. And Yeah, and Denali Hunts is the is the name of your outfit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And so, but it ended up being a, a job, and uh, like anything you, you do that you love, uh, when you make a, a job out of it, it, it gets old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were yeah, telling us you just before before we started recording you were sitting there before christmas and realized you hadn't actually gone hunting at all this year that's right for yourself that's scary (laughs) but yeah well hopefully you get a nice get a nice coos deer and and miss a nice cold spell yeah yeah there's nothing better than uh, going to arizona in uh, january i mean i've i've seen a foot of snow on the ground in arizona you know and uh uh, I just saw yesterday, I was looking at the weather down there, and it's like 28 degrees at night, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it's it's not uh, total. Nice. Uh, pleasant, <laughs> though, right? <laughs> I was telling Nick, that, was it last night or the night before, is in, yeah, we're in the gas station to grab something, lady in front of me at the counter's just having a 
heck of a time. Oh, my card, my card won't work at the pump, and I want to move back to Texas. This is terrible. I was like, it's not even thirty below. You, know? <laughs> we're just getting started. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, I heard it was. Well, I heard it was seventy-two below. In know, like Hackett. Hackett. Yeah, yeah. Which that's kind of. Where exactly is that? Time we were trying to think. Uh, of it's about well, uh, forty miles. Southwest of Bettles on the Koyukuk River. Oh, it's on the Koyukuk. Yeah. Okay. Yep. It's only about 20 miles from my cabin there. Okay. The so it's yeah. probably just as cold there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Br- Bruce, uh, one of my guys, Bruce Hockle, he, he called me the other day and says, Don't you wish you were stuck at the cabin right now? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been rough. Yeah, burn a lot of firewood to keep, oh, man. keep everything warmed up there. Um, you know, we have had a, a couple pretty mild mild winters it's yeah it's about time to have a real one keep keep everybody honest anyway yeah. i don't know that it's gonna happen but <laughs> no not here anyway 20 30 below is nothing but <laughs> no when you uh got your pilot's license what plane was it a cub no no i uh bought a 1946 cessna 140 a uh, little 85 horsepower at skis and and uh it had just been rebuilt i paid six thousand dollars for it and um beautiful little airplane and uh, went out and ran trap line with it okay. uh, one of the first trips was up on the black river and caught a couple hundred muskrats through push-ups on the <laughs> up there and you know 20 below zero early in in the in november yeah and uh, but uh yeah and then from there i progressed to a super cub but okay yeah, Super Cub, and then you do a lot of your, your outfit and flying, and you still have that 206? Yeah, that's the 206 on floats, mostly. I haven't had it on wheels in a while, but it's mostly just a float plane now. Yeah. Did you get your Cub rebuilt? So I know the wind had, is what wrecked oh, your Cub, was, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, that, <laughs> that was a story. But, um, yeah, that was quite a few years ago down on Kodiak. I flew it down there because I had a goat tag and uh, ended up on the south end of the island with uh, another buddy of mine, Dave Rue, who's mm-hmm. a pilot. He has Ambler Air Service. And anyway, we had a blow down there. Uh, wasn't even forecast. It. We figured that the wind hit 130 and, Jeez. and uh, <laughs> ended up uh, cartwheeling the airplane, and we hauled it out on a boat. And uh, yeah, that uh, I'm flying a different Cub now. I, ended, oh, gotcha. I did rebuild that one, um, and then sold it. I wish I hadn't. That that was the nicest Cub that I ever flew. It would. You could actually work 180 feet with it. Wow. Um, More power than the one now? No, nah, I just say it was light. Oh, okay. Uh, the main, uh, you know, a lot of the things with uh, light aircraft is, is keeping them light. You know, everybody wants to put this on it and that on it, all these mods and everything. But they all they all add weight. And, and uh, um, you know, it was 160 horse. Actually, the plane I'm flying right now is only 150. But uh, So it did have a little more power. But, it, you know, the plane I'm flying right now is... 1150 pounds and that cub weighed 980 um and, big and that makes a big difference so yeah it's like not much heavier than my snow machine <laughs> it's just another body in the plane basically right yeah yeah, yeah totally yeah yeah i mean it that that one didn't have a starter in it it was you had to hand prop it and and uh um, it was bare minimums you know a handheld yeah. gps and a handheld radio it didn't even have electrical in it no battery oh, um and uh yeah, and it worked keeping it light. Yeah, battery <laughs> battery can't go bad if if you don't have one. Yeah. But how'd you how'd you get into bow hunting? Because as you you mentioned, you you just guide bow hunters, which is pretty cool. And you've had you've had some pretty 
pretty big name bow hunters come through and had a lot of gotten a lot of awesome moose and grizzly bears and more over the years. Yeah, we've we've done pretty good. Um, I actually bow hunted when I was a kid before I left Ohio, and I was mm. I think I got my first bow, a little Ben Pearson recurve, when I was ten years old, and and I killed uh, some mallard ducks and, <laughs> and pheasants and cottontails with it before I left Ohio, and then I just uh, you know in high school I, I well I, I didn't touch it for quite a while after I came back up, and then in high school I shot a little bit just for fun uh, with that recurve and and then uh, I went out uh, Golden North Archery had a tournament uh, I think it was a Midnight Sun tournament uh, out there by the Big Dipper and my wife and I went down there for something to do and got to talking to some people and I, that's when I bought my first compound and yeah and uh, so that would have been probably in how'd they talk you into a compound well, <laughs> see all the. <laughs> I always, I always wanted to try one, but, and now, now I got to try to work my way back the other way. But so, but yeah, I, it's I, funny that that works. You know, and probably in every archery club across the country, like the old trad guys now yeah. were the new compound yeah. guys back exactly. in the day. It's like it, it you know, yeah, circle come full circle, and some of the things you know, like all the. The tra- that's not traditional argument. Someone posted an old <laughs> picture from like the 60s or 70s of an ad for, you know, a f- like a pre like made four fletch plastic vein and knock unit that you slip over the back of your arrow. Did you, did you ever see those? Oh, yeah, I've seen those before. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah they're, you know, everybody talks about the new broadheads, this and that, and, and nothing's really new. I mean, mechanicals were around a long time ago. I remember one that somebody came up with back in. In the 60s, you know, I was just a kid, and it, but it looked like a, a pair of scissors that were on the front there, and it was a it was a mechanical, is what it was. It did, and just yeah. But you know, you couldn't get any penetration because it had like a four inch cut instead, of, instead of a you know <laughs> two or whatever two or two inch and a half like we're shooting now. But so. yeah, it's pretty pretty so, crazy how things have. So that you got your first compound after going to a Golden North Archery shoot, and then when did you? Uh, Take your first animal, and what was it? Oh, um, I guess my first animal was a, a moose up on the Chena River, a little bull up there. Um, and I shot a black bear out on Chena Hot Springs Road. And <laughs> and then the very next thing, I think, uh, was a doll sheep. Oh, nice. um, yeah, I went, I went from, the, <laughs> from a meat moose to, to a skinny little black bear on the Hot Springs Road to a, a doll sheep. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. I don't know, I don't know if you'd heard most of the story. I chased that one around for about twelve days with my bow, and then and then we finally had to had to put into it. But uh, that was that was fun. It's anybody that can, you know, compound or recurve. Anyone can, can does that. It, it it's a chore. It's a it's definitely an accomplishment. Well, I tell you what. Back in those days, you know, we didn't have laser rangefinders and all that kind oh, of yeah. stuff. And, it, I'm embarrassed to say how many arrows I shot on that hunt. <laughs> I only hit one sheep, but <laughs> um, and it wasn't a huge, you know, I was back in the seven-eighths curl day, and I shot a seven-eighths curl 30-inch ram, you know, that made book one, yeah. scored 125, I think, you know, so not a huge ram. <laughs> no, that's awesome, though. That's, that's Wait, fun. Yeah, when you first started guiding, did you only take bow hunters even then, or yeah, was you know, the progression? Um, 
I don't know too if too many people knew Mark Berry. He was a member of Golden North Archery Club, and his daughter and my daughter shot tournament archery together a lot. And uh, well, he's the guy that I got Indian Mountain from. Okay, um, he, yep. he uh, passed away forty eight years old with a heart attack, and and I ended up buying his cabins from his wife. And but and I did some apprenticing under him, and he, you know he bow hunted and everything, and he was a guide, and you know I my last year that I needed for my apprenticeship to get my guides license, uh, you know, I did under Mark and I told him that I was going to cater to bow hunters because that's what my passion is. And he's like, well, that's stupid. <laughs> he goes, you got to work so much harder for, you know, for bow hunters. And, and, uh, you know, you take a guy moose on with a rifle, you know, and the first or second day he's going to punch his tag and with a bow hunter, you got to work with him the whole season and he may or may not punch his tag you know and he says and besides that think about the market he says you know what percentage of all hunters are bow hunters and you know maybe back then 15 percent maybe would have been right the total number but uh anyway i went against his recommendation and and uh catered to bow hunters and you know we we had uh some pretty big names right off the bat um uh, you know, M.R. James and Larry D. Jones hunted with me and both shot really nice bulls. And uh, Tom Hoffman hunted with me. He didn't shoot a bull in his hunt, but he had opportunity, but he wanted to shoot a Boone and Crockett bull. He saw a Boone and Crockett bull, but uh, <laughs> ended up uh, uh, not not shooting a bull. But, uh, yeah, we've had some pretty big names. Um, Boner Magazine has been up twice and, and filmed hunts with us and Country Boys Outdoors, uh, did a Alaska moose hunt with us where they shot two bulls and um, so we've got some some press and yeah well that's and it's pretty cool because you know you don't you don't really advertise but it you know you you don't have, seem to have any trouble booking up and it's it's not a very common thing for an outfitter up here especially to no. only only cater you may be the only one that only caters to bow hunters most guys it's like you know they try to avoid taking bow hunters if they can yeah Yeah. and i you know i understand you know bow hunters are harder uh, but it's i've developed a niche and typically stay booked a year and a half two years out um yeah you don't uh, have a problem uh getting clients because people you know like you said the the folks that have come and hunt with you they're what they what they tell their friends and stuff means a lot and if they have a great hunt well then anybody that that is a bow hunter was you know they're going to want to come as well yeah you know it's just the big thing with booking with somebody that knows bow hunting i mean there's some there's some reputable outfitters out there that take bow hunters that um, understand bow hunters uh, but there's more of them out there that don't understand bow hunters and and you know know the limitations and 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 the other thing is that that i find that i the biggest complaints i hear are um you know about well i i shot my moose and then the outfitter blasted it with a rifle you know and you know our guides are all bow hunters and they all know how lethal an arrow is and 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 we um you know, and we count on that leth- lethality. Yeah. What's the word there? Lethality, yeah. lethality of, of of the arrow and and our ability to track and and blood trail uh, a wounded animal. Um, then everybody knows that they're not always uh, as cleanly killed as we like, um, and so sometimes there are some long drip trails. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, we trust on that. We're very slow to 
to bring the rifle out to finish off an animal. Uh, well, and that was one thing that was cool, you know, and I worked free for that season up there that, you know, and it, I'm sure it reassures clients too, you know, like we didn't really, you know, there's a rifle for popping wolves or something like that, but you know, you're not, the guide's not over your shoulder with a rifle ready to, yeah, you, you know, you kind of trust that just, the arrow's going to work and. Yeah. Mostly guides just pack a handgun. Yeah. Um, some of them pack rifles, but, um, uh, but yeah, we, we trust in the arrow. Yeah. And I think the majority of your clients are, they know that they're not going to pull out a rifle and, and be pressured into using it too. Like that's well, another reason why they're booking with you. Right. Like yeah. they, they're booking the bow hunt. And yeah. I, you know, I, I occasionally have people that, you know, call and want to book and they say, well, I'm a bow hunter, but you know, this is a, you know, expensive hunt for me and I, I want to bring my rifle. And I said, well, you, you got the wrong, you got the wrong outfitter then, you know, um, right. if, if you would be happy shooting something with your rifle, then, then, um, you should probably hunt with somebody else. Right. <laughs> no, and that's a pretty interesting, not interesting stance to take, but it's a, it's a risky stance to take too, because you might be pushing away potential clients that you, you know, if you're making your living doing that, but if you care more about bow hunting and, and that than just killing an animal, then no, that's the way you do it. Plain yeah. and simple. Yep, that's what we like to do, and, and uh, you know, I, I can't say that I've never taken a rifle hunter, because, uh, you know, I've had uh, a couple of times where I've had guys call me up and say, well, you know, I'm a bow hunter, and uh, but I want to buy my dad a moose hunt for Christmas, and, and he's too old, he can't draw, he used to bow hunt, but he can't anymore, you know, uh, if uh, we book two hunts, can can dad bring his rifle, and, and I've done a couple of those yeah. hunts, you know, and which, you know, I really want to encourage that father and son uh, sure. camaraderie and, and, um, and it really ends up working out easy for me, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, I've done a couple of those, but for the most part, uh, there's a pretty cool video on YouTube. I think I've seen it or, or I saw it on old bow hunter TV or something like that. I think Bruce was the one guiding, but there's just giant bull walks out and they shoot it with a bow at you know 15 20 yards I do you know which one i'm talking about um if it was recently it, it's, it's been years i think yeah. um well there's a there's a there's several of them that are out there there's the most recent probably was mike carney with bowhunter magazine um and gary toms actually was guiding him gary's retired now and is living in montana but um and it's like a 20 25 yard shot broadside 62 inch bull um just you know bulls posturing and everything and uh one of the older ones was uh actually larry d jones shooting with a recurve okay and uh that's kind of a funny story because you know they booked um bowhunter magazine booked for mr james to shoot a moose and and larry was the uh, uh cameraman and uh Called it a bull, 64-inch bull, and MR, 17-yard shot. The bull runs down through the burn and keels over backwards. Falls. I mean, I've never seen anything like that before. <laughs> you know, it just up on its hind legs and keels over backwards. You know, and and uh, tell on Larry here, but uh, he said there was a glitch with the camera. But in really reality, what had happened? He had hit the the. Uh, standby button oh instead and, 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 and uh instead of hit the record button actually hit the double clicked it is oh, what he I did see. and so it went to, back to standby from record it was on for a short period <laughs> so then larry that's like on the third or fourth day of the hunt you know and then 
so they don't have the footage for the they're supposed to do a TV show and and uh, you know still there's going to be an article in the magazine but and so Larry's like well how much for me to shoot one too I got <laughs> I got my bow in my bag you know so I struck up a deal with him and then Mr became the cameraman and and uh, we called in this huge bull is still to this day I think we've killed three sixty eight inch bulls. And uh, this was actually, I think, the first 68 that we killed. And uh, MR was running the camera, and, you know, Larry made a nice shot, and it about ran over the uh, <laughs> MR there. He was kind of <laughs> behind a root wad that was pushed up from the burn there, and uh, and it ran by him. All you can see is moose hair when, <laughs> when it goes by. But that was 68-inch bull, Boone and Crockett bull. Jeez. That was the first one I think we killed. That That one's pretty popular yeah. it's out there still <laughs> yeah, the couple i've seen have just been amazing they're really cool there's a yeah and there's several out there anybody that wants to go and watch them just look it up on youtube they're there yeah yeah do you have a do you have a most memorable one that you think i mean there's so many doggone stories oh yeah well probably one of the other ones that i remembered was uh uh with gary uh, Tom's again, and um, I'm trying to remember the the hunter's name, but we had hunted on the river for most of his hunt, and just really weren't, you know, just weren't able to put him on a bull, and then um, decided to move over to the lake where you mm-hmm. uh, were with uh, with Anna, and uh, so, and that night we got like six inches of snow, and. Um, there was a bull that I had seen a couple of times, and he had a bunch of cows with him. And so the wind was such that we had to, like, hike a mile off the lake and hook around to get to where this bull had been anyway. And and um, he had, uh, I think, four cows with him. And uh, when they're late in the season like that and they're cowed up, they're tough to call. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'll take off and run the other way you know when they if you get challenged by another bull and and um so you got to get in close on them is the, my key is i try to locate them with maybe a cow call and I get them to grunt and then i just shut up and then i get as close as i can and we got in probably 80 yards from him and and then started uh, bull grunting at him to get him aggressive and to get him to stand and defend his cows but he turned and and uh went anyway yeah and uh so i sent gary and the client out in front of me and then i actually was standing right in this piss pit where he had just been laying and it just reeked a bull you know yeah and, and i just let out a big cow call and i think he figured he left one of them behind and he turned right right around and come by oh, the guys at 12 yards and, and that that was uh i think the second 68 inch bull we killed but oh man um, we haven't broke seventy yet, but <laughs> I know at that well at that spot that and that hunt with Anna, man. I Jeff had her. Jeff and I would trade off. Like I'd take her out and call all morning, and then he'd do the evenings. I was sitting there with Marvin, you know, on the shore of the lake, and Jeff had gone to the the north end of the lake there and calling. It's just dead calm, and I all of a sudden just hear whoa, 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 whoa. I'm like, man, that don't sound like Jeff. Like that's too, too, too close. quick, too close together to be Jeff. And we had the spotting scope set up there because there's that open hillside. 
I'm just like, holy shit, Marvin. <laughs> like, look at this moose. It's coming down, like going right to him. You know, I'm like, it's, I think, I think it was bigger than the one that we saw when we moved, after we moved over to the river, that one yeah. we were figuring was 72 or so. I mean, just in almost as wide as he was long. Yeah. You know, I was like, and he just going straight to him, you know, of course, then they get back after dark and I'm like, how big is he? You know, and they never, never saw him. He shut up and. Yeah. disappeared on them but uh yeah that and, and then the last the last morning of her hunt we had, had we're back to the south a little ways basically just straight across the lake from camp and had that one it turned out to be a cow making just some god awful like, like i didn't know they made noises like that really? sometimes and then you know and, and had picked her up i can't remember the order but when when we that same day later that morning when we flew over to the river basically crossing over that there was you know, 52, 53 inch bull walk, you know, heading straight to where we'd been calling from. Well, that you was know, pretty. Those calls, cows make some pretty strange calls sometimes. And one of the strangest is uh, one that they do supposedly. I mean, I don't use it in my calling sequence at all, but it's, you would think it would be good, but it's, they have a beller that they use when they're being pestered by us. like a burp? Yeah. Like a yeah, burp, like a sounds, big burp almost? Yeah. And uh, and they make that call when they're being pestered by small bulls, you know, that, huh. they, that they don't want to mess with, you know. Yeah. And uh, they do it to run them off, but I'm sure in in turn it also attracts big bulls. Sure. Uh, yeah. When, when it's used too. And I, I've only heard that call a few times, um, but uh, uh, in... I just been checking to try to yeah put it <laughs> try to incorporate incorporate it you know but um. yeah it's and do you use you know I like a lot, ask a lot of guys that are a lot more moose experienced than than I am like you know do you you like to use and it probably depends on your calling sequences depend on the time of the season like whether you're using bull sounds or or cow calls well um, yeah it, it definitely you know in the early part of the season you, you got to stick to uh, I mean, like first part of September, you can call a bull in, you know, just raking. Um, and as the things progress, you can start putting bull grunts in. Um, we have a rule in our moose camp is that we, we don't call, uh, use cow calls before the 12th of September. Yeah. Or if we've heard, occasionally you'll hear cows calling earlier than that, but not very often. Yeah. And so if you've heard cows calling, then, then it's okay to use cow call. Or after the twelfth of September, that's kind of the magic date that that we use when we start using cow calls. And when when you start using them, then I, that's my predominant call. And uh, you know, I'll cow call. I usually get the response. Um, try to get them committed, and then and then switch into some bull grunts to um, to try to make them more aggressive on the on the call. Yeah. yeah on, on so the you just start yeah. off just raking for a few days. That, that yep. and yep, raking and um, seeing what you know, uh, what kind of response you get. You yeah, know? yeah. I think it's hard for a lot of moose hunters to not want to call call. Like it oh, takes yeah. a, a lot of discipline to just like okay, I'm just going to rake for a day or two, maybe then throw in a bull grunt or something. Yeah. But no, I the cow call is the only uh, call that. Uh, that I've ever seen a moose, a bull run, turn and run from. And sometimes I wonder if they don't sound a little bit like a wolf howling or, sure. um, or, or what it is. But, um, 
well, you you mentioned Jeff Coe. He had a client yeah. one time, and and uh, it was one of his nightmare clients. But <laughs> <laughs> we don't have too many of those with bow hunters, actually. <laughs> but um, this guy was pretty sure he knew how to moose hunt. But um, and they had uh, well, Jeff had had some issues with you know he'd get uh, a bolt coming and throw in the cow calls and then then they would just shut up and leave you know and and that app things like that happen you know it's it's a strange but it does happen and and so he and the client had pretty much um decided that you know cow calling wasn't working we're not going to use cow calling anymore and so it was actually over at the lake again um we don't hunt there a lot but we've had some pretty good action when we do hunt there but um, and, uh, in, in the burn, which is, I always yep. like hunting the burn. Burns are good spots. You give them 10, 12 years old and they're, they're good. But anyway, uh, he had this big bull coming and it was over 65 and like he had him on a string and he was coming through the burn and just out of instinct, Jeff Cow called, you know, just realizing that they had, you know, said that they weren't going to use cow calls anymore, but it was just an instinct thing. I can see myself doing it. But, yeah. And that bull just turned around and went the other way, and then they never oh. got it. So to, that, need to say the client wasn't real happy, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's just one of those things. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it was funny. I told the story a lot of times, of, you know, that after we moved over to the river and everybody, you know, is the day after the season, you know, left me there to pick it, you know, pack camp up and everything. And it was that night. And I remember thinking, you know, like everyone gets back to camp. A lot of times are, you know, jabbering and you know, all right, we're back to camp. You know, like if, man, if we were quiet and just acted like we were hunting all the time. Yeah. And it's not like any slight cause you know, okay, well we, we are hunting these areas, got plenty of areas to hunt. And if you want to have, a, you know, talk and chat and not be super quiet, that's fine too. But that was the night after, Everybody left, and I had was finished cleaning up a bunch of stuff. Heard a bull rake downstream, start just goofing with him, raking back and grunting, and then had one upstream that was kept answering and getting a little closer, and then heard two more, you know, back behind. And finally, you know, this one was getting pretty close, and it was getting pretty dark, so I'll just shut up and had a few more things to do. I just laid down, zipped up my sleeping bag, here. Yeah. Right and I, like I hear, could hear his legs walking through the grass right behind camp, and he starts raking like between between the between the shitter and the and the tent. <laughs> I'm like, this thing's gonna tear up the tent. <laughs> I'd get out with my flashlight and yeah. try to run him out. I didn't get a good look at him, but he was you know a decent bull. That all kept me up all night, you know, grunting. And then another one, like four o'clock in the morning, another one had showed up, and they started fighting. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a. <laughs> if you're in a good spot, you know, I think one of the. I know we do, even in guide camp, we make mis the mistake of, you know, everybody wants to get up early and get going and, and get out on the river and, and go hunting. And uh, so you get the coffee going and you're banging pots and pans and make, making breakfast and everything. But, you know, when I'm hunting by myself with, you know, just hunting you know i i wouldn't do that i'd be quiet I, i'd get up in the morning and maybe take my jet boil and get a cup of coffee and set out on the river bank and listen and and then maybe do a little bit of calling before i even get moving but sure you know it and everybody wants that nice wood stove in the tent <laughs> yeah that with, but uh it uh 
I think it's more productive if you just be quiet and hang around camp a little bit and yeah, well maybe that, do a little calling right there because, you know, they move a lot during the night. I, you know, I mentioned that bull uh, that MR James shot uh, that we missed on video. Um, Troy, who you had mentioned before, was actually over at the lake, which is eight miles from the river, uh, the night before and saw that bull. It had kind of a peculiar palm on it and, hmm. and some velvet still hanging on to it. And he had seen that bull that the night before, and we killed it seven o'clock the next morning, eight miles away. I mean, wow. that gives wow. you an idea how much those bulls move over. Yeah, well, and night. I mean, they're just kind of casual walking pace, or they decide. Well, they can hear for forever, like you know. Sure. I'm sure, like at the lake, sometimes you'll call bulls from the river. Yeah, that's you a know, long they, ways, eight miles just in one night. Yeah, you know, for some, you know, and even just with mouth calling, you know, you hear guys. You have a bull spotted over a mile away and just cow call or something, and then it takes a few seconds and then yeah. whip their head around. And oh, yeah. You had told me that deal about not cow calling before the 12th up there, so you told me that in the spring. So this fall, we I think we flew out on the 7th or 8th or something like that, and I tried to make it till the 12th. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough, man. It's well, really tough. Well, it was interesting because we were all well, down at my wife's farm. We're hearing cows. Yeah. Like, the third or fourth it's just you know location wise it's definitely different yeah yeah and and there's definitely going to be exceptions to the rule that's one of the reasons part of the rule is that if you've heard cows call then then yeah it's it's good you know yeah well and i and and even maybe later if something something weird with them happens and the cows aren't calling like that maybe that's why it spooks them sometimes It's it's like a yeah like a bear bait you know sometimes you'll just have a bear bait that's hopping and then it'll just it's not like the bears all got killed. They found <laughs> something else. drew them away, or, or yeah. you know, it's just something I. Lo- it's I was like to think about is that that big bull somehow has to find the first cow, <laughs> or you know, I've talked with guys yeah. about speculating on is whether it, is it the bull is it the cows that come to the bulls, vice versa, or a little bit of both. You know, yeah. it's probably a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both. I mean, you see. Um, you know, early in the season, you you know, in our area, we see a lot of cows and no bulls, it seems like. And then, and then all of a sudden there's all bulls and no cows, you know, but they're, they're moving. They got this little dance that they move <laughs> yeah. around, you know, and, and then, then all of a sudden they're bulls and cows together, you know, then usually it's small bulls and, and cows. And then the big guys wait around until. The, the little bulls got them all gathered up. And then, yeah, and then just go <laughs> take them. <laughs> no, that makes sense. Yeah, that, uh, I, I keep remembering, it's, it was Troy's story where they, it, the guy, he was guided, had shot that one bull and he left him to go get some more arrows because he was, oh. and then, you know, he came back and the guy, the, the giant bull had come and flung that bull down the hill. Yeah, that that's an amazing story. I would, I would like to see that. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that he described in that story was that when after he'd left to go go get more arrows and get the guy's girlfriend down at the river, uh, um, was that this bull started coming up the hill posturing after he had raked the crap out of that other bull. You oh know, yeah, it was already down, and um, he rolls. And I've only seen this about four times in my entire guiding career with a lot of moose hunters. Sometimes they get really excited and they're really into the rut and they're ready to fight, and they roll the, their eyes back in their head, and all yeah. you can see is the whites of their eyes. 
and that guy described that, and it's an eerie, an eerie sight to have a, oh, a bull posturing in front of you with his eyes rolled back in his head <laughs> like he doesn't really even care. <laughs> well, and what you happens? just watched a bull, you know, big enough to, to just effortlessly flip your bull down the hill. Yeah, and that bull that he shot was a sixty-inch bull, and, and uh, you know, n- n- you know, the client was the only one that saw that bull, and but he. He figured it was close to 80 inches. After you see a bull do that. his 60-inch yeah. bull, you know. Wow. Oh, man. But, yeah, that's uh, that's nuts. Do you see many grizzly bears while you're moose hunting, or is that... Uh, Occasionally, um, but not very often. You know, you run the river, and, you know, there'll be a bear on the bank from time to time. The river there that we hunt, you know, has a, has a few chump salmon that run up it, and so... Depending on the strength of the uh, salmon run, there there can be some grizzly bears there, um, and then occasionally we have you know and get a bear on a gut pile, but yeah. we don't see very many. Yeah, most of your because you do both you do spring and fall and fall hunts um, for grizzly bears. Your spring hunts right, you do right. all pretty much just spot and stalk stuff off, on off the haul a, road. Off right? a haul road, yeah, and uh, you know the. Paul Rhodes, of, I think, the world's largest bow hunting only area. Yeah, it sure uh, is. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'm up in 23 for hunting bears over fish. There, kind of found a little niche up there, a little special spot. Oh heck yeah! <laughs> can you yeah. can you go through and kind of explain the the differences in the two hunts? I, I, we know them, but anybody listening, like you know the, I guess the difference between your Hall Road hunt and your your fall hunt. Well, yeah, the you know the Hall Road hunt is, um, you know, I I knew there was a lot of grizzly bears up there for a long time, and I I never capitalized on it, you know, as a guide, and because uh, um, I never thought anybody would want to do a road hunt for grizzly bears. You know, yeah. grizzly bears is a pristine wilderness animal, and you know, and finally I I ended up uh, uh, inviting Gary Martin from Wisconsin up to. Uh, do a spring hunt up there and and uh you know it, it is a road hunt i mean we basically uh drive up and down the road and stop and glass and you know glass the river bottom glass the mountain sides and and go after bears that we see um but you know it's a road that runs through one of the biggest wilderness areas in the world you know yeah and uh um, you know, we see a lot of wildlife. We see, you know, moose and caribou and wolves and sheep and muskox and, and, and a lot of wildlife. We And we hunt at night. You know, it's uh, late May, early June, and uh, it's light 24 hours a day. It's a little dusk at, at, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning where you might not be able to spot animals, you know, yeah. uh, glass up stuff that's up in the brush or up on the mountainside. But uh um, it's just for a short time period there. So, you know, typically we hunt from, oh, four or five in the afternoon to five, six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And, uh, um, and the other thing, you know, about it being a road hunt is then the traffic is a lot less than yeah. too, but, um, well, and that's, and that was bear, that's the bear's active time yeah, is at night, yeah. big time. And on that hunt, you know, I, I've seen as many as 28 grizzly bears, that's not all legal bears you know some of them are sows and cubs but we don't see a lot of sows and cubs up there but um 28 bears on a 10-day hunt um it's quite a bit that that's yeah. that's probably the best i've ever done um 
but we typically average a, a, a bear a day sighting and and uh, on a 10-day hunt um over uh well we've had uh 66 percent i think last time i ran the numbers uh shot opportunity on, on grizzly bears on that hunt which is pretty cool because yeah. it's spot and stock and yes yeah, all spot and stock and you know on that hunt you want to you want to spot the bears and get in front of them i mean it's bears are hard to stock i mean unless they've got something going on something that their attention is uh, focused on then then it's a little can be a little bit different story but they they can see better than people give them credit for it and they definitely <laughs> yeah. can hear and smell better than people give them i think bears got a better nose than a white-tailed deer does but anyway so that's you know kind of that hunt um and then the the hunt over fish is really a unique hunt yes it's it a, is <laughs> it's a, i found a um, a spot that has a little creek that has a run of chum salmon in it in the fall and um and we tried hunting it uh you know just slipping in in the morning and setting up a tree stand or a ground blind and and waiting for the bears to come by and and just didn't have much luck at it we the first day of the hunt you'd push a bear or two out and and then you wouldn't see any more bears, you know. And uh, so I um, actually built uh, some platforms that are six feet by twelve feet, and uh, we put a tent up on, on them, and we live in them for five days. <laughs> Man. Don't I mean the ideal is to not get out. Occasionally, I have some tree stands, some ladder stands set up up and upstream and downstream of my blinds. Um, that you know, if you're the bears for some reason aren't moving in front of the blind, which sometimes they they don't. Um, depends on where the fish are and where their fishing spots yeah. are. Cause, and the creek changes a little bit from year to year. But, you know, if, if we hunt a couple of days and don't uh, have any action in front of the blind, then we'll move up to a ladder stand or something. That's, uh, and anyway, uh, like last year was actually the best year ever. Um, we... Uh, uh, had three hunters and all three got shooting opportunities, one at 11 yards and two at 20 yards and ended up killing a Boone and Crockett bear. But uh, the, <laughs> the uh, first guy saw like 30 bears in five days. Oh and, my and, goodness. And the second guy killed the ninth bear he saw on the first day. Man. And, and then the third guy uh, um, hit a bear uh, on the fourth day. And it was like the 37th bear. Oh <laughs> my. So, I mean, there's, there's plenty of yeah uh, and those are interior well, grizzlies and to be in a spot where you can yeah, see that I mean, many they're not all big bears I no mean, where there's a lot of you know but there are some i mean there are well the one some, the one they killed yeah. was a booner that, that's and a hell of a bear and you know haven't haven't heard about you know it's taken you several years to like figure this out oh, yeah, people you know people you hear oh you know well, all right well we got in a blind and saw 35 bears in four days like, well there's there's a lot that goes into figuring all those details out. Oh, yeah. I've learned from baiting, you know, yeah. baiting grizzlies. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a, it, it, it's still a work in progress. We're we're still modifying. You know, I put in some new blinds in some different places, and um, you know, we use ozonics. Um, and I'm oh, yeah. I'm a firm believer in ozonics for scent control. And I think the year before we had some problems. We we had really had a hard time getting bears in front of the blind. And I think my ozonics were reaching the end of their useful. Oh. And I sent them out and had them reconditioned and 
last year the bears were just all over us again but um, <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> and you know speaking of those things like for as gimmicky sound, I don't know, I'm sure I've said this. For as gimmicky sounding a device that is, they yeah. absolutely, without a doubt, work. I think yeah. if if they don't um, do exactly what they say they're doing, they're at least giving you, I think, a slight edge where, yeah. you know, yeah. and that sometimes, especially for bears, that's all you need is just a little bit extra yeah, to exactly. keep them. Not well, and, from it's, and it's not, you know, and they're not. It's not a magic pill, like you know. Yeah. Conditions have to be fairly right, and you got you know in a tree stand, you got to kind of cheat you got to chase the wind with them yeah but there's been <laughs> so many times yeah. now that bears that would never i wouldn't have even hunted bothered right. hunted have seen we had you know a couple times we've had wolves come in oh yeah to a bait with us there downwind you know but a lot of bears getting downwind whereas before you'd hear them coming and then yeah. Oh, they cut the wind, and then you never hear you never hear them or get a picture of them ever again. When you're in your tent there hunting uh, in the fall hunt, are all the bears within thirty yards, like pretty oh, yeah. much. Yeah. I mean, you see you see bears upstream and downstream of the blind, but uh, all the shots are close, yeah, close range. I mean, you're not seeing uh, thirty bears within shooting range. Right? Got I mean, it. They might be. You can see about eighty yards upstream and downstream. Oh, okay, and, and uh, you know, there's there's different fishing spots that. And the different bears light. like different spots, and sure. And there's a pecking order who gets the, <laughs> the best, you know. <laughs> no, that's awesome. No, that's pretty. That's a pretty cool thing to see. And we've oh. killed a couple of wolves there too. That's the other thing is that it's kind of a. There's not a lot of places you can go and archery hunt wolves, you no, know. With there's not. And, uh, but uh, usually, uh, well, last year we didn't. We didn't have any wolf opportunities. We heard wolves. Um, I don't think anybody saw any wolves, but we we heard them. Uh, but usually, I, I take three hunters up there, and um, usually somebody um, gets a shot at a wolf. And that hunt uh, starts first of August, or is it the tenth? Uh, or well, it, season opens the first, but the fish usually start showing up around the seventh, and okay, and uh, so we don't start hunting until about the fifteenth. Got it. And then you just run three hunts until the end of the month. Uh, yep, yep. Uh, actually, go into I. Uh, you know, two years ago we had some problems. Like I say, we you know the bears just wouldn't walk in front of the blinds, and uh, so we changed some things up. When one of the things we did was I sent the ozonics off and had them redone. But then I put uh, more time between each hunt. I, I had couple a couple days. days between each hunt to let the blinds air out. And, good idea, and uh, let the bears calm down a little bit. Yep, that's a good idea. So we actually end up the first week of, of September. Yep. Yeah, those bears are pretty sensitive to disturbance, you know, oh, human yeah. disturbance. You know, even, you know, you walk through, well, that one big bear that I mm-hmm. really would have liked to kill at Stone Point this spring. Yeah, all, all, he, you did, might all get. he did was walk through, you know, could have spit on him, walked through, smelled where I, I had walked to check my trail camera, and that's turned it. and walked off, and he was never, never to be seen again. Yep. But yeah, man, I'm having a hard time not getting excited. We were talking; we're having a hard time not getting excited for spring already, and it's <laughs> it's too long away. We have a long, long time yet to go. Yeah, probably some twenty below and thirty below. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, but, I think so. But yeah, stand, well, I was gonna. We didn't end up getting this done until after everything was sold out in the drawing. I was hoping to have a few tickets left for yeah. for the Alaska Bowhunter Association drawing. That's you know, Stan was doing that for I think it was to pick 
pick between either the spring hunt or the fall hunt. Sure. A raffle. Yep. And uh, we drew that yesterday, and a guy from back east, uh, uh, Illinois, Wisconsin, something like that, won it. So yeah. I know he was excited when he got the yeah. phone call. He had no idea that he, you know, he didn't think he was going to win. But the odds of those raffles, I think, are pretty darn good. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. One in 300 chance, that's better than, I mean, any other raffle that you might get into. Right. It's better so. a chance than I got to draw a delta. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or, that too. or than I had to draw a token. Yeah. People still draw them, so it's it's going to happen to somebody. <laughs> I've been so, putting for 40 years to try to draw a bison tag in this <laughs> state, and I can't do it. How, uh, how did you get your guides license for out west where you're doing the, like, because... Don't you need to guide under somebody for a certain amount of time in that unit and for that species? Yeah, you know, it's um, the, the rules have changed a lot. You know, okay. I've been in it for a while, but um, and yeah, I mean, it, before it wasn't species specific. Got it. Okay. Um, and the way they had it set up before was, you know, you could get it as quick as three years as a, an apprentice, but you had to have um, letters of recommendation from I think eight or ten clients, uh, and then, you know, take the the test uh, written. And uh, at, at that time, it was just a written test, and then you had to test for each game management unit, yep. <clears throat> um, which you still have to do, but you know, back, but now they've changed it. It's pretty difficult. Uh, now if you're working uh, under somebody, like, to go well, off on your own, you're going to basically be com- competing with the person that gave you the right, opportunity. Right, um, It. It is, um, but you know, if you got a guy that's working for you that definitely um, has what it takes, I, you know, I don't have any qualms about sure. helping a guy go out on his own. But um, and all my guys have, have stuck with me. Like, I mean, I've they've I've had a couple of guys go ahead and get their registered license where they could book their own hunts, but they they've chose to just stay and in, in yeah. hunt with me. But um, and uh, then you know you. You got to test for each game management unit, and and now, like you say, you have to have species. You have to, I think, uh, guided. I think it's three mm-hmm. successful hunts uh, for each uh, under a registered guide as an assistant before you can have uh, that on your license. Yeah, there's uh, people now out there that have been guiding in one area for ten years, but they can't guide one specific species because yeah, they, they didn't. Might not, might, yeah. might not be able to do sheep or yeah. or, or bears or yeah. And I think that's a little bit crazy, but especially when that person might have twenty or thirty killed uh, himself, you right. know, of that in that same area, right. and he still but, can't but if you get it. Guided, yeah. it, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't count. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, so it didn't but, used to be that way. It used to be just you just had to have days in the field for that unit, and then take the test and have successful or actually, clients. <clears throat> actually, in the beginning, you didn't even have to have days in the field in that oh, unit. Wow. Um, uh, you could I'm, you could have personal experience. You had to have, like, and I don't remember what the specifics on it were, but like I, you know, there's 26 game minutes, minute units in Alaska, and, and what I did after I got my guide's license, I mean, your guide's license isn't any good unless you have at least one unit right. that, that, you yeah. can, that you can guide in because you have to have both. And, uh, and so when I took my guide's test, then I ended up, I think I took three units uh, tests then, and then they used to offer them every quarter. You could sign up and take, and they were 50 bucks a piece to sit down and test. And so I would do like three every quarter. I'd study the unit. And and, uh, um, and I ended up, I think I've got 20, 
22 or 20 or 22 of the 26 units i wish that i had done the rest of them gone the rest of them but you know that's pretty cool and uh, money's tight and you know, so you could I, essentially register any any just about unit any, any unit yeah wow um there's you know like i don't have uh nunavak island oh, and, oh uh, well um I let's see. I don't know. I got the peninsula. And, what about southeast? Uh, I've got unit two, but I don't have one, <laughs> one, three, and five. I think uh, that's that's pretty impressive. Pretty much the whole northern, very cool part of the state. But. There's another story I'd like that to hear again. The um, you drew Unimac for bear many years ago, and and had a hell of a bear hunt down there. I think that that'd be a good story to tell. Yeah. Well, it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people think I'm crazy when they do that. <laughs> is this the one Gary, Gary was down there with you? Yeah, Gary Thompson, okay, yeah, yeah. one of my guides uh, uh, who's now living in Montana. I took him down there to be my backup, and um, it was uh, – it took me 20 years to draw that tag. So, like, just anybody listening that doesn't know, Unimac is basically the – the furthest island on the chain on the Alaska well, Peninsula. It's actually that, the first island on the on the, the Aleutian chain. So furthest yeah. one that has bears is what I was going to say. It's the furthest one south. Um, yeah, I don't know about that. There um, might be bears south of there. There, there may be so- bears south. It's the first island off the end of the Alaska Peninsula. Um, and uh, to give you an idea, you know, Alaska is a big state, and uh, of course, I flew my own airplane down there, <laughs> um, but. It, in a Super Cub, it's 12 hours <laughs> just, just, just to get there. You, there's a, you know, there's a, a small town there in Cold Bay with big runway, and, and they got a little hotel and a uh, grocery store and stuff there, you know, but there's not much in Cold Bay. But So uh, Gary actually flew into Cold Bay um, on Pin Air, and then I flew to the Cub down. And then, and then you waited for him to get all his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, and it's, you know, the end of the world and horrible weather, you know, 30, 40 knot winds all the time. And so we, I think we were a day late getting in because of weather and then um, flew out, found a spot, landed on a cinder ridge and um, where we could uh, uh, see, we were like three miles from the river, uh, get up on a ridge and glass the river bottom. And it was a spot that you could, at any time you could see a dozen bears, you know, mm-hmm. up on a ridge and glassing them from a couple miles away and on the very first day actually gary spotted this bear um and it was on a kill and we didn't really know what the kill was uh, at the time um there were a few caribou on the on the island too and uh, but it was raining and blowing 30 35 you know and i said well i i can't shoot an arrow in this kind of (laughs) uh, weather you know so we'll just wait you know and in uh for two days we watched him on this kill and we actually saw one other bear that i thought was bigger um but he was pretty mobile and never in the same spot twice and and um so on the third day the wind died down to 10 or 15 and we decided to go down there and i wasn't even sure that i could get close enough to that bear because it was right out in a flat i mean i mean talking you know ankle high grass you know to stock on and so we get down, and there was a couple of these little ridges that were like knee high. Uh, and uh, Gary and I belly crawled out behind one of these ridges and got about 45 yards from the bear. And it was just still too far, you know. Um, I didn't want to. And 
it was still blowing a little sure. bit. And uh, so I said, Gary, why don't you wait here? I'm going <laughs> to see if I can get closer. And so I back belly crawled, and there was another little ridge that actually this kill that he was on was right at the end of this little ridge. And so I got on it, and I belly crawled out, and I got about 30 yards from him. And I told Gary, I says, now, when I'm ready to shoot, uh, I'll lock an arrow. And I, uh, what I want you to do is I want you to just stick your head up where he can see you. And uh, and I think he'll stand up off it. He's just laying on top of this kill that he's got. And I think he'll stand up and face you, and then I'll have a broadside shot at him. And so, um, you know, we're, we're kind of triangulated, you know. Gary's on one end of the triangle, and the bear's on the other, and I'm on the other. And... Uh, um, so Barry stuck, well, I knocked an arrow and, and I took my, I had my 44 and a shoulder holster and I laid it in the grass in front of me and, uh, Gary stuck his head up and the bear stuck his head up and looked over there towards him and, and then he just laid back down. You know? <laughs> and so it took like six tries and on the sixth attempt, you know, every time the bear would stick his head up and look over there, you know, but he wouldn't get up. And, um, on the sixth time, Gary actually raised up so he could see his entire upper body and waved his <laughs> arms at the bear and the bear got up on the sixth try and started walking towards him and i rolled up to my knees and drew my bow and uh, when i did that the bear saw me and it turned and charged me and in kind of a circular arc and and pretty quick he was between me and gary and gary had the gun and uh so in order to shoot he was shooting towards me and shooting the ass into the bear and uh and i'm he he stood up and started yelling at the bear and i i'm yelling at the bear at full draw um and i'm on my knees and at about 20 feet um the bear slowed from a run into a walk and it tried to quarter around me to get my wind and uh i took a frontal shot um at less than 10 feet um, and made a perfect shot. And like it, walking it, right towards you or well, quartering towards you? Well, he was quartering. He was kind of quarter around me a little bit. So I, I hit him between the brisket and the shoulder blade oh, wow. um, at an angle. And he immediately put on the brakes and took off. And we he went about 100, 150 yards and went down. And um, <laughs> it was really exciting. And then we, <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, we, uh, when I say less than 10 feet, it, you could see in the tundra where the claw marks had uh, torn up when he when he left, you know, and then you could see where my knees were yep. making the imprintation, and the, and it was three paces from oh. from his claws, <laughs> you know, and his head probably stuck out three feet. Oh. You know, so I think his nose was five or six feet from me when I let go of the arrow. And uh, oh boy, you know, and you think that the smart thing to do would be to immediately reach for your pistol uh, after you let go of the arrow, but. I just curled up in a ball. And <laughs> decided if I was gonna, you know, get an ass whipping, that I'd be be a small tar- be a small target for small target. And if Gary had to start shooting, that I was as low as possible. Oh, but the bear man. turned immediately and went the other way. When I, that bear, it didn't quite make Boone and Crockett. It was twenty seven and a half inch skull. It takes twenty eight to make. That's a big brown bear, uh, though. We yeah. figured he weighed twelve hundred pounds and and uh squared 10 foot too it, it was it was an experience telling you and what was he eating oh yeah that's the that, <laughs> I, sometimes i forget that part of the story. <laughs> he had actually killed a sow with two cubs and oh was, man and was feeding on them um, Jeez. And, uh, it's pretty nuts yeah yeah 
hungry place out there. Another part of the that story, I don't, I don't think I could do it now, but, um, you know, I'd heard us people talk about 200-pound hides. Yeah. Uh, brown bear hides weighing 200 pounds, and I always thought it was bullshit. You know, I was like, <laughs> well, I mean, I've packed out eight-foot interior grizzly hides, and, you know, 60, 70 pounds, you know, they don't weigh that much. You yeah. Know? How could a 10-foot bear weigh 200 pounds when a eight-foot eight bear foot. only weighs 70? Yeah. You know? And uh, so we packed that sucker. Well, Gary, oh. we skinned it clean because we were three miles from camp, and we skinned it as clean as we could, took the head out, turned the feet, and um, Gary carried the... We carried my bow, he had the rifle, and both our day packs, and then I put that on the pack frame and was carrying, I guess I was carrying my bow and, and, and just had the, the hide on my back. And we got back and we flushed it the next day, and I probably took another 20 pounds of flesh off of oh, it. Oh, yeah. And um, salted it and brought it back to Fairbanks and, uh, you know, got it dried good and sent it to a taxidermist down in Anchorage. And... I took it to work there at Everett's where I used to work and uh, to ship it down there. And it was just the dried hide. It, of course, it had some salt on it, um, but it, it weighed 187 pounds <laughs> in a burlap bag. <laughs> and so, I don't know. I packed that sucker three three miles on. Uh, you know. Well, that's like Nikia. Yeah. Nikia's bear, his 11-foot bear he killed on Kodiak. The, the, the fleshed hide and clean skull were 197 pounds. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So, you know, you add, and even like, you know, an eight, a nine foot brown bear is going to have, depending on how clean you skin them. It's going to be over a hundred, yeah. You know, it's going to be 50, 60 pounds of fat sure. and flesh on them. Ugh. One of the things that a lot of people don't realize about when bears get bigger, I mean, you know, they, they may square. You only know, two feet few, bigger or whatever. Only yeah. a foot bigger. Yeah. Foot. They're exponential. The, the girth, <laughs> yeah. you know, their their legs and their uh, neck. and They're and growing in every direction. They grow in every direction. That's right. It's a, You know, I can tell you when I was on my knees at full dry at that bear at 10 feet, you know, a 10-foot bear is, is basically five feet tall at the shoulders. Yeah. And, and uh, I felt like I could crawl underneath him. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just like looking up at him, but... Um, but yeah, the, you know, you hold up a paw off of a an eight foot bear, and it's pretty impressive. But you hold up a paw off of a ten foot bear, and it's almost <laughs> twice as big. It's not. It's not twenty five percent big. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> the difference between a nine, you know, a nine or nine and a half foot bear and a ten or ten foot two three yeah. bears exponential. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. You know, most people end up shooting an eight foot brown bear. You know, when they go to Kodiak or their peninsula or something like that. You know, the majority of folks. And the difference between that and the ten foot is not, it's not even the same animal at that yeah. point. It's, um, you know, I think the average is like eight and a half foot. Um, yeah. You know, when you look at all the bears that are harvested, um, it's a little over eight foot um, in the square on the hide. And uh, you know, there are some outfitters out there that won't let you shoot a, <laughs> an eight foot bear. Um, yeah. You know, they they shoot a lot of big bears, and but some people go home empty-handed. Yeah, and. Uh, Oh, that old story reminded me, um, for people who don't know, you know, up there on the, the hall road hunts, so I was going to ask you if you ever had any of those get get a little exciting or clients get excited because well, the thing about that is if you do have to shoot, you know, have to shoot your bear with a gun, like as a backup, it's not your bear anymore, you That's know, because right. yeah. you can't can't use guns. There. We have never dispatched a bear with, with a rifle 
um, in any of my camps, actually. Nice. Um, um, we have lost a couple of bears um, in my fish camp uh, where I hunt over fish. I, I've never lost a bear, a wounded bear on the Hall Road. Um, and I've recovered three gutshot bears, <laughs> which were had the potential for being scary, but I give them a lot of time. I don't, you know, and when I do go yeah. in on a poorly hit bear, I do take a 375 with me. But, yeah. Um, but uh, I've never had to use it, and uh, I've never had uh, a problem bear. I, You know, we killed one at um, five yards. Yeah. <laughs> and I was running a video camera on that one, you know, and... Uh, uh, the video isn't all that great because I was pulling my pistol out, <laughs> being trying to be a you know it's hard to be a cameraman and a guide, yeah, uh, and do both jobs justice. But um, but uh, but yeah, as soon as the bear's hit, he's heading for the brush. You know, yeah, I don't know. And that seems you know has been my experience for sure. I mean, you're all, you're always gonna you know there's always the what if cuz cuz anything can happen and occasionally it does but the vast majority of times man they don't want anything to do with you or, oh, yeah. you know they may seem like they're being aggressive you know before you shoot them but a lot of times it's curiosity or they're you know i think that one of the theories that i have on you know i've been charged by bears a few times and um i i guess the majority of them uh, you'd say were bluff charges because um i never had to dispatch one with a yeah. rifle, but um, I have shot a few uh, warning rounds, although that's not always the smartest thing in the <laughs> world. If you really have an angry bear, you you want every piece of lead that you got with yeah. you to, to uh, utilize. But um, I think that the, a lot of times the charges that people experience in, with bears are, are, believe it or not, I think the number one thing is that that bear mistakes you for another bear. And then the minute that they realize oh shit that's not another bear they're gone you know yeah. they don't like people uh that's just you know it's just it they, they don't like the smell of people they don't like the human interaction and and they're gone um you know i i guess i haven't run into that one that is you know that got a chapped care, ass yeah. for a for a guy or for a human you yeah. know um i haven't run into him yet and hope i never do but um you know, I used to, I was pretty, uh, pretty purist bow hunter. You know, I used to never even carry a pack up when I, but, you know, I always did when I was guiding sure. because I, of liability. You know, I think my liability insurance company would probably <laughs> crap, crap their pants if they knew I was guiding bow hunters for grizzly bears without a backup. But, um, but, uh, we always have a firearm when we're, when we're guiding. But, and I have started getting, uh, better about packing when I, when I hunt myself too, but yeah, you never know. <laughs> it's uh, well, it reminds me kind of. I think I talked about it with Dawn, so I don't don't want not to beat the horse to dead horse to death. But did you read that article that you know that it was on the meteor? Like I did, yeah. Will will hunting grizzly? And it's talking about lower forty eight. Will hunting grizzlies, you know, basically affect their behavior or make them more scared of people? I can't remember the exact phrasing, but I'm like it's. This is a serious Some, question. Something along the lines of, we'll, we'll, yeah, hunting grizzlies lower the, I guess the, the, the interactions that the, the individuals have with them randomly or whatever it might be. Like, and what I didn't like about the article is they didn't even reference 
I think the success that hunting has had with deterring grizzly encounters right. in Alaska. Right. They never yeah. even talked about it. Well, and and I think I told Don too. I was like, Alaska has basically every type of grizzly human interaction circumstance to look at. Sure, you know areas with lots of bears and lots of people where they get the shit shot out of them mm-hmm. if yep. they show up. Yep. You know, down, down Anchorage where there's lots of bears and lots of people and yep. not not very many of them get, you know, you know not high hunting pressure. You yep. got wild country that bears hardly ever see people. You got and everything Then you, then you have at. people running around trying to get them to come to you. Yeah. And then you still don't have that <laughs> many negative interactions with them. Yeah. I mean, you do, of course, but it's it's not like uh, what Montana and Wyoming and eastern Idaho are experiencing. Exactly. Like, first time I went uh, down... A friend of mine invited me to go elk hunting down uh, in Montana, just uh, not too far out of the park there, kind of near the Wyoming-Idaho border. And uh, I showed up down there, and he was like, what kind of gun are you packing? And I'm like, well, I don't bring a gun, you know. He's like, I'm a bow hunter. <laughs> he goes, no, no, you don't understand. Yeah. These are not like Alaska bears. These are these are park bears, and they're not afraid of people. You know, you, you really, they, yeah. they'd have, they've had to kill a couple of them, actually. It's a know. big deal. And um, actually, uh, it wasn't that hunt, but the very next one, uh, Gary, one of my guides, went down with me, and and uh, he shot a <clears throat> nice little four-point elk and and uh, came to get some help tracking, and there was a little bit of snow on the ground, and we got about 200 yards from where the elk was, and, and uh, grizzly bear tracks All over. were on it, and, and uh, it wasn't one of those things where, you know, you have an option of Pooking the bear off because yeah. he was just really aggressive. And, uh, Which, uh, you know, even like it got on, on your moose or something, it's, you know, you don't be stupid about it, but right, right. you're going to be able to run them off more well, than likely. Or yeah. or here or in Alaska, shoot you shoot it, right? But I, 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 <laughs> yeah, the, longer, the longer they wait to establish a, an actual season for them, the longer it's going to take for that to be, in, you know, ingrained into the bears. Exactly. You know, they've been hunting up here forever and down there, they still aren't. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe I I don't think starting a season next year, I don't think you're going to see less bear encounters and issues and no. stuff in the next, you know, in the few years after that. It's going to take time. Yeah. So time and volume of bears right. killed. You know, reminds me of oh, it's been a long time ago, but I I hiked into Butte Lake there off the yeah uh, Denali yeah. Highway one time and uh did some fishing, you know, and in, in the springtime and I got bored of fishing and hiked up the hill and and got a ways up there and i looked and there's a sow grizzly bear coming down the trail right towards my tent you know with two cubs and trail you know and uh, she went right on by within 50 yards of my tent you know and and went on right on by and one of the cubs peeled off uh-huh, and headed yeah. for my tent and uh, um and she turned around and got back out there and slapped that cub on its ass and got knew it out exactly she, what to she, do. she knew that, that that's a problem that's dangerous you yep. know and and uh teaching that, yep. that kid we were right. down yeah. on carlock a couple of years ago and we had a lot of sows and cubs around us and really close encounters with them 20 30 40 yards whatever but that sow always kept those cubs away from us there, like there was never <laughs> an issue with a sow and cub you know yeah our issues were with the younger boars you know or right three-year-olds four-year-olds that brings up uh i I flew for a fishing lodge, uh, Larson Bay Lodge, for six seasons down on Kodiak. And we would go down there to off of Fraser Lake uh, to the Dog Salmon River. There's a weir there. That's where Frank used to work. Yeah. yeah. Oh, did he used to work there? Yeah. I'll be darned. Well, there's 
you know, you go there to the fish sockeyes, and there's some rainbows in there too, but um, you take your clients over there, and you're allowed to keep six sockeyes, I think, and and uh, we were down there fishing by the weir, and and uh, a lot of the air service fly in bear viewers too, you know, mm-hmm. and um, in this one particular season, um, there was a, a group from, there was there used to be a kind of a anti-hunting posy sniff whatever you want to call it group uh called wild thing they had a tv show wild thing where they you know film bears and rattlesnakes and what you know everything you know (laughs) well we were there with clients and uh and uh, of course we had a shotgun with us and and a couple of handguns probably but um we had some fish on the stringer, and and uh, the bears would sneak in behind us and try to steal fish off our. Well, I took off. I grabbed a handful of rocks, and I'm chasing a brown bear down, throwing rocks at him. <laughs> you know, and and those guys uh, from the show, they when we came up out of the creek bottom there, they were all pissed off. You know, the, here I am harassing this bear you know the bears were here first the bears were here first <laughs> well that's bullshit too because um <laughs> and i gave him a little bit of an earful i said well no they weren't here first because if you know the history of this of this fishery um there were no uh, the waterfalls prevented the sockeye from getting into fraser lake and so in 1957 the state of alaska um stocked they took uh they took fish out of red lake and um Carlock lake mm-hmm. and put them in there and, and uh, created a, an artificial, bass, essentially yeah. an artificial um, uh, salmon fishery there. And the uh, with the plan within four years later that they would have the fish weir built and, and uh, so that the fish can get up into the lake because sockeyes need a lake system to, to spawn. You know, they didn't get it done and they ended up having to hire college kids there with five-gallon buckets and dip nets, and they'd, they'd Jeez. pack them up <laughs> above the falls and, and uh, drop them off. So this is actually, and and that project was paid for with Pittman-Roberts oh, um, mon- money, you know, it, it, monies that was provided by sportsmen. Yeah. And and so the bears weren't here first. Right. The, the bears didn't get here until the fish got here, and the fish didn't get here until the hunters and fishermen provided that opportunity for them so yeah yeah. and on top of that if if uh there weren't so much human interaction around that lake you know during the spring and summer or probably summer when when you're there those bears would be acting totally different than than if you know but you you wouldn't be able to run one off with a set of handful of rocks that's what i'm getting at exactly yeah and it's it's a really cool place to fish i mean you're sitting there you're there's bears around you all the time you know and occasionally you know you get a fish on it starts jumping and you have to break it off because you don't want them to learn that. No, uh, they that, can that come the, steal it from you actively. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but uh, but yeah, it's a pretty cool place to fish. I mean, I got lots of pictures of yeah. guys <laughs> fishing with a fly rod and a bear right behind them. You know, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's people just the attitude like, oh, so you're throwing rocks at a bear? It doesn't yeah. hurt. Not not going to hurt him at all. No. What'd you, you rather know? me do? Put my pistol out and shoot yeah. him? Yeah. <laughs> You've got another pretty interesting story, if I remember it right. Something about a just and how you did your muskox hunt. Um, not, I don't need to know like every little thing, but the way you did it was pretty unique compared to how most people are doing it uh, when they draw that Nunavak tag. Well, the, the Cessna, <laughs> Cessna 206 made that possible, you know. But um, 
I had met the area biologist uh, out of Bethel. Um, I had worked in a, a camp, a state camp. We were doing uh, caribou surveys on north the uh, northwest Arctic herd. And is it still? Was it Patrick Jones then? Is it no, no. no this, this guy, I, I was trying to remember his name, but he's passed away. He was killed in a, oh. a one eighty five um, doing moose surveys uh, just a couple of years after I I met him. Um, but he had been out there out of Bethel for a long time. Um, and so we just were sitting around the, the dinner table in the tent one night, uh, in this, doing this car- caribou surveys. And, and I asked him about it, you know, and he, on a napkin, a paper towel, he wrote <laughs> a, drew out a map of the island and recommended places for me to go. So we put in for it, uh, Tom Chadwick and I both drew the tag and, and flew down. You got to go through the orientation in Bethel. We spent the night in Bethel and flew out there. And it wasn't quite as simple as the area biologist had told me. He said, oh yeah, there's. <laughs> goes, well, we we had bought a three hundred dollar Elan snow machine and stuffed it yeah. stuffed it in the back of the two hundred six, which that's where the two hundred six comes in because it was big enough and uh, to put the, the snow machine in. And uh, so he says, oh yeah, he says the wind blows so hard out there that you know the you can land on the beach or you can land on a frozen lake or something, you know, and this was in uh, March. And, uh, and so, uh, we, uh, went down, spent the night in Bethel, went to orientation, flew out there and flew around looking for a place to land. And I, I found a place, but it wasn't <laughs> like any, every place you, you could land anywhere you wanted to no. out there early. And so we set up Arctic oven tent and uh, a little kerosene heater in it and, Spent the night and and uh, went out and shot two muskox. We had to day. put the sled together, right? Well, yeah, we put the sled yeah. together. Yeah, we had to, <laughs> had the skis off, and then and then we had this little collapsible sled that we had built uh, just for for that because Land's pretty much a one man guy. <laughs> yeah. So we went out and shot the two muskox, and then come back, and I, I think maybe it was the day that we arrived or something. You know, we weren't allowed to hunt, and. Uh, uh, a native fellow from uh, McCarruck come by at his snow machine and he'd seen the airplane on the beach and he he says uh, how long are you going to be here you know and I said well we're trying to kill a muskox and be gone he goes he says you probably should shoot one pretty quick because <laughs> he goes the wind can really blow down here <laughs> well it was you know 20 below zero and actually we ended up getting having really good weather and um I didn't realize how big a muskox was, you know. At, at that point, I thought they were like little 400-pound animals with a lot of hair, and uh, they're more like 800-pound animals. They get pretty of, big, yeah. And it was all we could do to get two of them back in the airplane, and then that left the snow machine, which uh, some other uh, local hunters came by, and, and we gave it the gave snow to them. machine to them. And, <laughs> And uh, they were, I'm sure, happy to have it in the yeah. village there for the kids to play on. Yeah, or that, that's not the normal way to do it. I tell you that. <laughs> no, or at funny. least nowadays, I have seen. I had did help a guy. Float, well, has got a, a moose camp. I did help him strip down a four wheeler and stuff it in a two hundred six. Really? Oh and yeah. Fly yeah. it out to his moose camp and put it back together. Yeah, I've I've done that too. <laughs> it's not quite strapping them on the floats of a beaver, but <laughs> no. Yeah. But yeah, that's a unique hunt. It's uh, you know, muskox are not particularly difficult. Uh, <laughs> difficult as far as I mean, they're they're ballsy, man. They yeah. they stand their ground. They don't, you know, they're, yeah. they're not 
hard to stock. Oh, it uh, seems like the, just persistence and the condi- being able to withstand the conditions yeah, and be patient. Sure, you know is yep. is the biggest thing. You know, it's not not necessarily it. You know, it's just difficult in a different way. You know, right. like yeah. waiting for Frank's muskox, man, yeah. frozen <laughs> balls to the tundra out there, laying yeah. down. You know, on her on her bellies for three hours frank's well, so stubborn that he only wanted to shoot one of the bulls in this group of like 40 and there was three or four nice ones that kept giving him opportunities you know i'm laying down on the ground next to him his gloves are flying away and if you know finally the bull gives him an opportunity so he draws back but his goggles are still on <laughs> this is after hours of laying there waiting for this one bull to kind of move away so then he messed up that chance and then in like another 45 minutes or an hour later finally the bull came out and gave him a shot but yeah, he, you know, Frank, I mean, he's yeah. just super stubborn as far as like, that's what I want, and that's the only one I want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I'm not one of those people, yeah. one yeah. of those items that he wants. <laughs> <laughs> it de- definitely made me, uh, made me appreciate how my, how my dad's went. Oh, yeah. I mean, it took some doing, some sure. persistence, but oh, it's beautiful. Yep. Things yeah. actually, they, we, we would split up because they, you know, We'd put a stock on them, then they ran over here, and you would put a stock, then they ran back, and those three came running at us and just stopped, and we worked in there and able to shoot in, you know, a 40-mile-an-hour wind. It's best to just shoot straight into the wind. (laughs) Yeah, it takes some persistence, and you just got to stay after it. But muskox, you know, itself, as far as killing one, is not difficult. It's all the other things involved. The experience, the logistics. Getting out, like... You flying out there like that was probably way harder than killing one. The whole, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, you know. But oh, that's awesome. Well, anyway, I guess we'll <laughs> probably probably wrap her up. But uh, no, thanks, thanks a bunch for coming over. Now that we've broken the ice, we'll have to hear some more stories. Yeah, There's hear a few more frequently. Now, some yeah. of them are even true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah. as long as they're true and legal. Right? No. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, well, thanks for coming over, Stan. And, yeah, thanks uh, for having me. Been been good chatting. And uh, if uh, you guys enjoy the podcast, appreciate it if you leave a good review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen on. And you can support the podcast on Patreon, and that's uh, patreon.com slash Tundra Talk. Thank you.